Hello, and welcome to the Council Culture Podcast, a podcast where we look through the lens of counselling in today's culture to help and equip you to live life to the full wherever you are. believe that everyone should have access to and benefit from the core skills of counselling that help you do life well. Leading ourselves in relationships, mental and emotional health, work and navigating life in these really fast changing times. My name is Nicholas Marks and it is my pleasure to host Council Culture. So welcome to this week's episode, the second in our Under Pressure series. Last week, we started with a reflection on C.S. Lewis's learning in wartime, and today we'll be talking about parenting under pressure, a really important topic and area, especially at this time. In a few minutes, I'll be talking to two members of the council culture team, Max and Siobhan, who are both counsellors and also parents. They've got quite a bit of experience under their belts. But first, here's some of a, a great conversation I recently had with Mel Hayde. Mel is a teacher, a lecturer, a counsellor, an author, and a mum and a grandmother. She had some real nuggets of parenting wisdom to share with me. So here it is. Hi, Mel, and welcome to the Council Culture Podcast. (laughs) Hi, Nick. Thanks very much. Great to be here. Can you um, share with our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks so much. So I live in Sydney, Australia, and I have three adult children. They're all married, and I have uh, two grandsons who are very squishable, and I have a granddaughter on the way as well. And in my week, I lecture at Stirling Theological College. I counsel at a Christian college, and I'm also a teacher. A passion of mine for the last, ooh, over 25 years, that sounds like a long time, doesn't it? I've travelled around Australia and helped parents um, with some practical and positive ways of dealing with their children. Children are a blessing, yes, but they're also lots of hard work. And as you said before, we need help and we need each other to do the best that we can. How did you come to be so involved or passionate about parenting and, and wanting to make a difference mm-hmm. there. What, where did that come about? Was it as being a, a mum yourself? Oh, absolutely. So when I had my first little one, I just had such a desire to, to love them well and, but also to train their hearts to know and love Jesus as well. And as I was doing that, people would just ask me what I was doing. And one lady said, oh, can you come and share with my playgroup? And so I went and did that. And there was a lady in that playgroup who was also in another playgroup. And so it just sort of went from there. And I would just um, speak to different people and speak on the phone. And one day I went out shopping just to do my groceries and I came back and there were 12 messages on my phone. And people would say, oh, my friend of a friend of a friend, so I can call you about my child. And I'm very happy to do that, but it was just getting too big. So I thought, let's put something into writing um, on paper. And so I just popped, um, yeah, just my thoughts uh, into words and was very surprised when my book sold, uh, I think to date, is about 20,000 uh, uh, sales for that. In And yeah, didn't plan, didn't plan to have a parenting ministry, but God just sort of grew it um, over the years. What are the books that you've written? 
So I, I wrote um, Terrific Toddlers, um, which was tantrum-free twos, and then Terrific Toddlers 2, which was about building happy, healthy hearts. And then just a few years ago, I combined those two books together, so they're no longer in print, but I popped the two books together and then added the school years section and a teen years section to every chapter. So now it's called Toddler to Teen. Toddler to Teen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's fast forward to now. Mm-hmm. Um, middle-ish to the second half of 2021. What are you observing? What are you seeing? And what are the things you'd like to comment on that you're observing? Mate, let's just say a top three. Yeah, so it's definitely tricky. It's definitely hard and people are struggling with the isolation. It's been really hard to be um, in this season and parenting with young ones. As I talk to parents, uh, the three big things would be uh, food <laughs> and uh, screen screen and learning, and then the third one would be the whole sibling uh, friendships or lack of friendships yeah. um, issue in the home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so how important is uh, rhythm to, let's go with little people, teenagers, mm-hmm. and also for parents? Patterns and rhythms give security to those little ones. They Mm. love knowing what comes next and having a visual of that is just so helpful for those children. And for the the middle years, for those school-age kids, just seeing, having a bit of a a pattern, a rhythm for their day is so important because they know, okay, I've got to work now, but play's coming. You know, I've got to do a little bit of something that's not so fun, but then some more fun is coming afterwards. And that's just so helpful. And for teenagers and adults, when we have a rhythm for our day and for our week, what happens is we get things done that need to get done. Mm. But more importantly, we have a balanced day and a balanced week, which is so important for long-term mental health. Let's talk, you mentioned siblings. That can be a big one when you're in close quarters. Absolutely. Yes. It's hard Anyway, anyway, but yeah. this just exasperates it, doesn't it? Yes. What, what would you say to uh, to, to mums and mums and dads out there, parents and guardians uh, around the siblings? Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard work and it takes effort. And a big uh, foundation for managing it well is, again, having a rhythm yeah. for your day and having a bit of a pattern there. And the pattern is we have time together. And then we have time apart. And depending on the ages and stages of your children, most of your day might be apart. And we have, you know, one one hour together where we're, we're all um, hopefully playing together and learning to play well together. Mm. Um, if, if things are not so, you know, if things are okay, you might have a balance between, you know, a little bit of alone time and then some together time, some alone time, some, to, some together time, rather than expecting the whole day for us to all be together, waiting for that big explosion and then just being reactive. If you yeah. can be proactive, it's often a lot more positive in terms of managing that. And it is good to be able to sit, particularly as the kids get older, isn't it? And you can sit down and mm-hmm. if you've built, uh, again, we we'll use that word, a rhythm or a habit or ways of having those conversations around how you're going, what's going on in your life, um, not waiting until it blows up. Yeah, and those things give uh, – I like to use the word scaffolding in a way. Like They, they mm-hmm. add a structure to it. They're not the thing itself, mm-hmm. but they add the structure to, to the important things in the relationship, Absolutely. the conversation, the, the time together. There's a pattern. It's, it's important. Yes. I, like the, I like the word pattern that you use. That's good. It's a, yes. it's a nice, safe yeah. word, isn't it? It's not too – it doesn't put us off yeah. when you hear about patterns. <laughs> and just, just to share, because obviously you – 
for myself, I had some ideas through my parenting and hoping that, you know, this, these things would work and not knowing because it was my first time through as well. And to see my adult children genuinely enjoy hanging out with each other and genuinely um, have relationship with each other is just such a joy. Yeah. So screens and technology is not a problem to solve. It's, it's just, it's, it's a part of our life. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure there's a defining statement that captures it all, but gee, it's pervasive and, and we're using it now mm-hmm. to hopefully good effect. And uh, there's, there's really, there's real downsides and real dark sides. And we're at mm-hmm. a time now where children are growing up with it from, you know, from, uh, from babies through the true digital natives growing up now. What, what would you say in terms of um, parenting and the impact of screens and technology and such things? What would be some important takeaways for, for, for mums, mm. for dads right now? Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, you can see the benefit of having a rhythm for your day. And it's, as you say, it's part of life now. And it's just about balancing that out. And if you can, from early on, set really good patterns for the use of that because it's so much easier, again, to be proactive rather than get to a point where you go, oh, we're doing it, they're using it too much, they're on their screens too often. Now to be reactive and try and take away that freedom is a lot harder. So if you do have the little ones, try and think ahead and think what what's going to be the patterns and the rhythms for your family so that it, it doesn't dominate the day. Yeah, that's so good. Mel, what's, what's one tip that you would give to parents now at this time, if you could distill it right down? Mm. Yeah. And I think this comes uh, partly from my studies in gratitude and seeing how important that is for us and all the benefits of it, but also um, the fact that I'm a grandma now and even just looking back at my own children or even just watching my, my grandsons grow up, it goes so quickly, mm-hmm. so quickly. The days were long, but the years truly are short. And my my little tip for, for parents, whether you're in the trenches with your children now or whether, um, yeah, whatever season you're in, is just to look for a little pocket of joy in each day. And for myself, when I wake up, I think, mm, this is what I need to do today. But what's that one little thing that I'm really looking forward to? in my day and then at the end of the day you can look back and think what's that one thing that I was really grateful for in the day and it might be the pocket of joy that you planned or it might be something something else but there's just real value in being thankful for each day but having a little a little pocket of joy to look forward to yeah that's that's wonderful it's a difference maker gratitude isn't it yes yeah and so just I think it was uh, yeah, a few weeks, only a few weeks ago when they extended our lockdown for another month. And mm. I thought, this is hard. This is hard for some people. And God just put on my heart to start the gratitude pandemic on yeah. Facebook, just as a group. And within just a few weeks, we have over 2,500 members. And so I think it's really touched a chord for people that they're really enjoying seeing the good in this season. We're not denying it's hard. It's a hard, crazy season. But just looking for that little glimmer of joy and that glimmer of hope in each day uh, can really help people manage each day well and walk well. Yeah, very well said and and well done you for starting the gratitude pandemic. I love that term. And so people can <laughs> find that on Facebook. Yes, absolutely. And and where can they where else so you can find you on Facebook with the gratitude pandemic. Where else can mm-hmm. people find you Mel? 
Yeah. I think that's probably the easiest way for people to find me. And if they would like, can I offer a discount for the book? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yes. So if you just find me on Facebook, I think most people have Facebook and just send me a private message there. And yeah, normally the books are $25 plus postage. But if you order, let's say uh, by the end of, um, what shall we say, October, through me, I can send you one for $20, including postage. And if you want more than yeah. one, I can sell them to you for $15 each. Great deal. And uh, really grateful to you, speaking of gratitude, for sharing your time and wisdom today, Mel Hayde. Thank you so much. For, I'm sure it's been a blessing to, to many people out there and will continue to be. So thank you. Um, thank you. Thanks so much, Nick. It's been a pleasure. Hey, Max and Siobhan, uh, that was great to hear the interview uh, with Mel. Coming off the back of that, and for our listeners, we want to we jump into a few things that Mel touched on and also um, cover some areas that we, we've been giving thought and, uh, thought and prayer and discernment into this topic because we know that we're in, um, I don't want to use words like, uh, even though I'm going to say them, unprecedented and challenging times, not all that sort of rhetoric um, but it's just really hard at the moment for for all of us in different ways. Whether you are in lockdown, whether you're in a state that's not in lockdown, and hey, if you're not in a, if you're in a state that's not in lockdown, like, fantastic, um, all power to you. And so we rejoice with those who are rejoicing, and um, for those who are in lockdown, um, in fact, the three of us as we're doing this podcast are very much in lockdown. Um, so we are. Uh, that's probably about sixty to seventy percent of Australia at the moment, and other parts of the world, and so. Whether you're, um, and we're going to be looking at um, relationships for um, couples, friends, singles, um, even people in like share houses and things like that in the next episode in relationships and community. Um, so I don't want to just say we're just going to do parents and, and not cover some of these other areas and people. It's really important. But for today, we want to look at parents because parenting under pressure at this point in time is really unique and has. Um, it, it, yes, it does have some really good things in it. It's got a little really hard, challenging things in it that, hey, we're all making up as we go. Max, we were talking earlier, um, one of the ironies of lockdown is that well, you're more on your own or, or, or more isolated and you don't have that people to, as we would say, normalise. You made a comment. Can you just say that, um, bring that one out of the uh, out for our listeners? Yeah, sure. Look, if in terms of no lockdown, you might go to... Um a neighbor's house, you'd, you'd go into a restaurant, you'd go into a, a birthday party and be able to check in with friends and family and get a sense of how they're coping and how they're doing. Um, and a lot of that's gone away. And, um, I mean, we're all parents ourselves, the three of us. We think we're doing the best that we know how, but short of checking with people on screen and um, and on the phone, there's we've lost that sense of community and um, and the neighbourhood and, and the friendship groups that we might be able to check in with normally. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you can, that can be a, a real challenging thing because you don't know how what you don't know. Um, does that make yeah. sense? And we tend to go the way of, oh, I think I'm blowing it. I'm probably not doing a great job. Yeah, and chances are that we're probably doing better than we think given, um, given what, what the situation is like. So I think we just need to be um, kind to ourselves and and understand that they're not normal times and we just do what the best that we can with what we've got. Absolutely. Um, Siobhan, 
Let's talk about foundations of parenting in lockdown. Mm. What are some of the the key things um, that parents can exercise or put into place or just keep in mind Mm. in the context Mm. that we're now in? So one of the things that I find helpful for myself when I'm feeling like I'm not regulated or I don't have much reserve of patience left is to really think about my attitude and think about if what I'm doing or is what I'm doing or what I'm about to say, is that helpful for for my children? Is that helpful for my household? Um, And from here, I think we need to get back to basics about thinking about what really matters and Mm, trying my best as an adult to stay calm and regulated because if I'm not calm and regulated, I can't expect the children to be calm and regulated. Yeah, which means doesn't necessarily mean that you're calm and all the time 24-7. You're going to have moments, aren't you, where you, mm. <laughs> you might lose mm-hmm. it or you just become wobbly, but it's, mm. in, it's in front of the kids in those key times, isn't it? Is that what you're referring to? That is exactly what I'm re- referring to, and I think it's important to pick up, pick up on that, Nick, because we're not always going to get it right, okay? As parents, we don't always get it right and there are times when we mess up as well. And I think it's those times that we need to be demonstrating to our children how we can actually make a repair. And what I mean by that is if I've said something that I think, oh, that wasn't helpful or um, I've just taken my frustration out on my children, what I usually do is build in a pause. And what I mean by that is I might say, actually, you know what, I'm feeling really frustrated right now and I need to just take a break for a few minutes. So I'm just going to go outside and I'm just going to breathe in some fresh air and when I come back, let's pick up where we left off. What that does is it actually regulates me, which then means that my children are more likely to be regulated, but it also role models to them Mm. how you deal with your frustration and how you deal with it in in a healthy way coming back in to make that repair rather than just storming out and not coming back to the topic that was being discussed or the hard conversation that was being had, building in that pause, coming back to have that conversation in a more regulated way, I think is fundamental because right now we're all living in a bubble Mm. and there is literally no escape from one another. (laughs) So true. And Mm. it also says, hey, mum or dad or mum and dad, um, uh, don't have it all together, but they they don't have all the answers, but it's healthy. Mm. Yes, yeah. And I think that that's really important to um, children's emotional intelligence. And if they don't have emotional intelligence, it means that they don't have emotional literacy. So if I'm not able to, as a parent, to be able to talk about my feelings, I'm actually not teaching them emotional literacy And if they don't have emotional literacy, they won't have emotional intelligence. And if they don't have emotional intelligence, it's really difficult to regulate. On that, the opposite of of that regulated is dysregulation. What happens when we're dysregulated, Siobhan? Mm. Well, I mean, dysregulation is, it's just a fancy term to describe an emotional response that's poorly regulated, if you like. It means that um, I'm not able to to deal with the range of emotions that I might have 
for example, what we would call some of the more uncomfortable emotions or, or the negative emotions that we, we, we usually refer to them. Um, so it's about having the, that fluctuation in the mood and the mood swings. That's what dysregulation is. And children are going to have that. And depending on their age and their stage of development, we have to understand that that is just a very, very normal thing. And that's how children learn about dealing with feelings that don't feel very nice. So we have to be able to allow them to feel those emotions. And rather than just say to them, oh, look, you'll be fine or, or look, you know, come on, there's nothing to be worried about or you'll get over it. I think we have to validate. We have to name the emotion and, and say, look, I can see that you're frustrated right now or I can see that you're really worried about this and validate those emotions rather than try and wash them away with reassurance because that doesn't teach them about sitting with uncomfortable emotions and we all have them. We all have them. Thank you. I want to touch a little bit on priorities because another element of this, a sidebar if you like, it coexists with it is the priority of things at the moment, say with parents, we're talking about parents with kids, so say for at school or school age and at home, more to the point, um, prioritising say their mental and emotional health at this time, maybe even over mm. schoolwork. Can I can I say um, not even maybe over schoolwork? I think it it's imperative that it's over schoolwork. There you go. Because if our children aren't mental mentally healthy, they can't learn. We know that research has told us that. If you've got a dysregulated child or a child who is not psychologically well, they will not be available in the classroom. They won't learn. So we have to make sure that that's a priority. In the school that I work at, we're, we're actually having, we've we started, we've got three parent groups that we're running across three weeks. And it's all about helping parents to understand that yes, learning is important, but not at the cost of your child's mental health. Yeah, I think that's, that's good, Javon, because for parents at the moment, they can feel this real tug of war of, um, well, I don't want them to get behind or the, 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 the kids themselves can become anxious, if you like, of I feel like I'm getting behind. And if they're not tracking well in themselves, it's not like you're going to achieve two out of two there and think it's it's going to be how do we prioritise one and the other? Um, and mm. it's something that's going to be held in tension. I don't think it's a problem that we're going to solve and it's going how mm. do I um, – it's it's a there's a there's a how part to this, isn't it? Is how do we put this in in place so that we do prioritise their mental and emotional health first? And not saying that schoolwork isn't important, we're really acknowledging that it is important, but there must be a priority order to these at this time. That's one hundred percent right, and I would say from from where I sit in my workplace, working in an educational institution, if you like, all the way from prep through to year 12, the message that we're giving out from our school is that you need to prioritise your child's mental health and you need to prioritise your own mental health as a parent as well. So that's the message that educational institutions are sending out. Mm. Uh, and I think it's important that that parents understand that teachers do not expect parents to be teachers. Really good point to make. Mm. Yeah, and we want to give a shout-out to teachers as well because mm-hmm. they're doing a great job mm. and under really trying circumstances as well. 
triggers for anxiety um, or things to talk about with anxiety I think that are important are, and, and you touched on this, Siobhan, and I want to, is, is naming it. The importance yeah. of if, let me give you an example. We were, we had news overload in our place this week and, um, you know, went from um, lockdowns to all the COVID data to Afghanistan to the USA to a truck strike to a baby giraffe being born at the zoo. It just about did everybody's head in. Um, and there was just too much of it going on. We sat down around the dinner table and just had a had a, a really nice meal and, and ended up having a 45-minute discussion around um, what was it that was setting everybody off there. And it was probably a few things. And really, it was an example of naming some things that are causing anxiety. Mm-hmm. And yes. so I think that's just an important point to mention for our listeners out there is um, two things there. When anxiety comes, one of the things that you can do is talk about if you if you're aware of it to name what it is that's causing it. Sometimes it's just a general feeling, or a, a, there's a there's a generalness to it, and it's harder to name. At other times, you can really name it and be specific about it. That brings it out into the open. Uh, it can often demystify it, and also gives you the ability to share it with others, and they can mm. help you carry that burden or, or provide a different perspective. The second point I'd mm. like to make is around the dinner table. So I mentioned that Mm. for a reason. And the importance of um, families being able to sit down to that family meal, because it is something that's really been eroded over the, I don't know how many years now, but it's less common than we might think for families to sit around the dinner table or wherever they meet for that communal meal um, with an absence of technology and conversation, real conversation with one another. Mm. I think one of the things that we've forgotten about is that the table or, or coming together for a meal, whether it's even at the kitchen bench, it's about it's about the coming together and it's about blocking the rest of the world outside because that's your sphere of control, right, in your home, around your table. That's your sphere of control. You can't control what happens outside. So turning off media, not having your phone at the table is about saying, well, this is our sphere of control. And when you were talking about naming the emotion, Nick, I was thinking that's just a, a, an easy way of saying what I need to do as a parent is to check in with my kids. And the table can be a place to do that, to be able to check in because kids won't necessarily be able to name the emotion and they won't necessarily be able to understand what's going on for them and put words on it if we don't initiate. So we have to initiate those conversations and getting parents to ask their children specifically, going around the table and checking in and opening up that conversation because children won't necessarily offer that. I I agree. I think it is very specific to how old your kids are as well, isn't it? Because if they're younger, they're not going to be able to name those things. And yeah, yeah, that's good. I want to touch on technology and screens a little bit. Mel talked about that, um, mm. and I've heard you say this before, Siobhan, um, around the three Cs. I think that yes. could be really helpful to parents to hear this. So can you just yes. um, can you just hit us with the three Cs? Yep. So I can't take credit for it. This came out of Justin Coulson's. He did a mm-hmm. webinar last year called "Lightning the Lockdown Load." So this is where I got it from, um, but it's really it's been really helpful for parents. I think. The first thing we have to think about is that it's um, it's really hard to control technology during lockdown. 
um, because kids need it for their their schoolwork and they need it for downtime and for socially connecting as well. Certainly, I know that at the moment, all of my friends live in, inside my computer as well. Um, so the reality is, even for children and adults, is that we are definitely spending more time on the screen. I think it's important for parents not to judge themselves if you feel like you're letting your child spend too much time on the screen. But I think what can be really helpful is to think about the three C's. So the first C is connection. Is your child using screen time to connect? Because right now they can't physically connect. They can't go outside and and meet at the park or they're not at school where they're connecting at lunchtime with their friends. So that's the first C. If they're using it for connection, I think it's vital that we allow them to have that space to connect socially. That's a fundamental task of particularly of adolescents. But children also learn how to socialise by connecting with their friends, which is fundamental to their development. So we, we check next, that box on the we check the connect box on the three yep, C's. We like that one. Yep. The next C is what we call creativity. So hmm. creativity is about um, you know, am I am I looking on YouTube because I want to learn how to do paper mache or I want to learn how to do macrame, those sorts of things. Am I actually looking up things online? because I want to be creative about things, right? So I think that that's another really ingredient in terms of how we're actually using the screen time. The third one, which is the one that I think we really have to watch out for, is consumption. And that's kind of that mindless scrolling through social media or binging on Netflix in an evening. Um, It's what we call that sort of inactive kind of um, engagement with social media. So if we think about those three C's, the connection and the the creativity, that's they're like active engagements, but it's the consumption that's the inactive engagement. It's that binging. It's that scrolling through. Uh, And I think um, that we've all done. Just want to add that in there. (laughs) We all do. And I have found myself doing it too. Yep. Uh, But this framework has been really helpful for me, for myself, but also I found it helpful for parents. Mm. Mm. And and it's, you know, we can remember the three C's, can't we? Mm. Connecting, yep. creativity, consumption. Yep. Thanks, Siobhan. I want to I want to change gears a bit now and talk about so we've talked about um, foundations of parenting, a, a whole range of things, priorities at the moment, some some on technology, keeping in context of uh, what Mel shared with us today. And Max, can you talk to us about something I, I think is um, really important, and also dear to my heart, play. Aha, uh-huh, play. Yeah. Um, we, we've forgotten how to play, I think, in the last few months. Yeah. Um, look, I was reflecting on this just, uh, we were having a chat earlier, Nick, on, on some of this, that um, it's actually one of the 12 rights of children. I just went back to the UN um, when I used to do work as a play therapist in, a, in an organisation I used to work with, and that was really um, highlighted to us that, that children should have an opportunity to play and just enjoy themselves and have fun. And so we, we just need to be um, aware of that, I think, as parents, as, as politicians, that we are not uh, in some way with the rules that we're creating 
uh, getting in the way of that. And we may need to do that safely, but with an understanding that kids need to play. Um, and I think parents and adults need to play as well. Um, so I was just listening to you guys talk about anxiety and how um, and naming the anxiety or naming the emotional, the emotions of helping kids to emotional regulate. And I think when you're a young kid, sometimes you can't put words to your emotions or your anxiety, and so it comes through the play. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it can be an opportunity for, for us as families to talk about things that happen when we play, um, the activities that we're engaging in, and use that as an opportunity to model healthy um, healthy play, healthy emotions, healthy regulations, all the stuff that Siobhan talked about. Mm. Um, we've noticed in our, in our home our nine-year-old has started to play with dolls again. She hasn't done that for years. Mm. And, um, and we've noticed that she's you know, quite anxious about dolls getting unwell or getting sick. And so we've used that opportunity to uh, join the play and um, and ask her questions about how she might be feeling, what yeah. she's concerned about or stressed about. Um, so there's an opportunity there, I think, as parents to join in the play and uh, encourage that more as a family, but also because it's fun. And we've got, uh, when we just talked about the news and the, the stresses out there and, and, and the pandemic, and we just need to rebalance it, I think, with some games and, an opportunity to enjoy ourselves and and not be consuming social media or news all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 the it's a bit of a forgotten hero play, isn't it? Uh, and, and as you said in the example you gave in your own home, like playing is a way that you can find out where kids at and and enter into enter into their world, uh, enter into what might be on their mind that they don't have words to articulate. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And the, the research says, I mean, Winnicott is a, a, a child psychotherapist um, mm. and he, he used to say that play is therapeutic in and of itself. So you don't have to interpret it necessarily. You don't have to, um, you don't have to think about it too much. You, you will just get better and, and healthier just by playing, um, by engaging in, in playful activity and fun. And so I think um, we really need to focus in and lean into that um, as much as we can. There's times where at the moment it can seem hard to engage in play. There's different things that we can do, isn't there? There can be playing indoors, um, even if it's board games, things, again, things around the dinner table. If you can turn the dinner table into a games area, um, it could just be mucking around, laughing, joking, um, just just having fun, as you said, whatever it is, each family is different and it's got their own um, internal family jokes. <laughs> so <laughs> just it's it's just also sometimes it's a mindset. And I think earlier on, Siobhan, you spoke about attitude and it's just going, you know, and, and we say this to ourselves to encourage ourselves. So we certainly don't have all the answers to this, but it's, it is putting it into practice going, um, being a little lighthearted on things, isn't it? Because there's a lot of seriousness at the moment. I really want to, um, I think, just to add to what you were saying, Max, because as you were talking about play, as you were talking about your daughter and her experiences with the dolls and you coming in as a parent to join that play, that side-by-side play and helping to direct some of that play 
so that it, it helps your daughter to make meaning of the experiences. I think we, yes, play is play and play is fun, but for those parents who are feeling like their failure as a teacher, for example, play is the way that you can engage learning. That is so fundamental to learning. I think we really underestimate the importance of play. And I'm not just talking about child play. I'm talking about play across the lifespan because play is socially interactive. It helps us, helps our children to communicate their ideas and to understand others through that social interaction, which really does pave the way to build deeper understanding and, um, you know, more powerful relationships. So play can be really underestimated. And I think that's one thing I talked about our sphere of control. We can't control what's happening outside the home. We can't control what COVID-19 is doing in our society. What we can control is what happens inside our house with our family. And play is something that I think is fundamental to all families, irrespective of how old your children are. And just on that, Siobhan, I just feel like we need to... um acknowledge that parents with teenagers because that can sometimes when you say board games your 17 year old rolls her eyes and says oh really um just a really great thing that works in our family for the for the late teens or early teens music just if, as a parent if you just ask what's your favorite song right now what's on your playlist and even if you just play that around mm-hmm. and ask your kids question around the artist or what the song is about it's amazing how much they'll engage with um, through, through song or through music. So it doesn't have to be a board game, even though board games are great. And we, you know, we usually have board game nights at our house, but we equally have nights where we just might watch um, YouTube videos together. And, you know, Stephanie will share her favorite songs and we'll just have a conversation around that. So um, think broadly. Um, it doesn't have to be what, what you may think of as play. It's just engaging with things that are interesting and um, fun for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important, Max, between play is being playful. Mm. It's that, that attitude and, and, as you said, entering into what they're doing. If, and, and if your kids are um, gamers, they, they're playing online games, it's not always, hey, just turn that off we and come out and, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you can get into that mindset. It's It might be actually getting on and having a game with them. Yes. And exactly letting, them, right. letting them thrash you at it too. Absolutely. Yeah, and they probably will. Win. Yeah. Well, thanks again to Max Siobhan and Mel Hay today. Friends, next week in the third instalment of this Under Pressure series of the Council Culture Podcast, the panel are going to look at relationships and community under pressure. And so we're going to look at um, married relationships, um, friendships, singles, even people who are house-sharing at the moment under unique pressures in relationships together, um, especially if you are in a lockdown situation. So we want to be as inclusive as possible there. So thank you for joining in today. Look out for next week. If you know people who, like you, are passionate about growing and learning and transformation, why don't you share this episode with them and also hit the subscribe button and give us a review. It all helps to spread the word. We really want your input into this podcast, so we'd be grateful if you could visit us at councilculture.org.au where you can send in your questions 
topics of things you'd be interested in us or hearing about us exploring in future episodes. We would love that. Thanks again. And remember, together we can impact our culture through good counsel.